Game one is in the books for the Washington Nationals, and boy, oh boy, did they impress. I'm going to get you all the latest on what impressed me, but what specifically impressed you and I the most, you may be surprised. You'll have to tune in right after this. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day as we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Clary, and I have taken my passion for the Nationals into podcast form here with the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day, and that's what we do now from here on out. We get to watch the Washington Nationals for the next five to six months most likely every single day, not everyone, but most of them. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. And as we wrapped up game one yesterday, there are some takeaways. And what have we been talking about all offseason? What is the exciting part of this Nationals team? Well, it's the young talent that we have. And in game one yesterday, going against the St. Louis Cardinals down in Jupiter, Florida, what did we see? Well, we saw a plethora of young talent show out for this Nationals team, and this is why we watch this team. We're not done yet. Just because you don't have Juan Soto or Josh Bell or Max Scherzer or all these guys in the past does not mean that you can't compel a good roster. Now, I'm not saying the Nationals are going to be a winning team this year. I understand where we are, but there's light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think Nationals fans needed yesterday. They needed to have an opportunity to see all this young talent at once. And that's what spring training is for when it comes to this Nationals team. You're going to see a lot of young talent in spring training. You're going to see Brady House today at some point. Going to be coming up with the Nationals going against the Mets. You're going to see a bunch of different young prospects get their opportunities here in spring training, and you're going to see a lot of at-bats with the big lead club. And so with all that being said, the time is now for optimism because we're not going to see all of these young prospects come together and play like they have in spring training. That's what we get to see now. And so now it's time to get some big takeaways from the big picture from yesterday's win, and we have to start with Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore started yesterday, and it honestly was a little bit of a surprise to see him go out there because I was thinking it was going to be Patrick Corbin, maybe Trevor Williams, but no, they went with Mackenzie Gore. They ripped the Band-Aid off, and he impressed. He threw a bunch of strikes down there, and honestly, what I was looking for was his command, and that's what he had in store for the Nationals. As Mackenzie Gore threw 18 pitches in that first inning, and 13 of them were strikes. That's what we needed to see from this young guy. Because if you remember, his command was kind of an issue this last year. And coming up through the majors, he switched up his windup a lot over the years. And so seeing that, and honestly, 
not pitching a competitive game since last July. That was a little surprising to see of how in command he was of the zone. He, he was hitting his spots. His curveball was working. His changeup was looking good. And also, his fastball was looking active. But then again, his fastball still has more juice. And he alluded to that after the game as well. Because this is what we want to see from this left-handed pitcher. The dominance that he displayed. And it, what it, this is only one inning yesterday. But then again, it's important to see that one, he's healthy. And two, all his pitches are active. All of them were working yesterday. I would like to see him to work in a couple more curveballs here and there, a slider, his changeup. His secondary pitches are very good in my mind. I think he could capitalize on some of these opportunities and throw a little more of it. Be confident in that. But then again, only one inning pitch. He had one strikeout. He gave up one hit, and it was a hit that was really a dinker down the third baseline that hit off the bag, and, you know, that happens every now and then. It's bad luck. But that'll also kind of go into my conversation that I have coming up tomorrow about the new rules and kind of how I feel about it. But that's for tomorrow's show. Now, for more takeaways, C.J. Abrams, one of the other stars that we got back in return for the for the Juan Soto trade. And, I mean, this guy oozes talent. He does. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to hit a bunch of home runs. He's not really a big power threat. We understand that. But then again, yesterday he flashed of what he could be. And what do I mean by that? I mean he plays a solid defensive shortstop. When he gets on the base paths, he is one of the hardest runners in baseball to throw out. And that is a tough accolade to, to have, really. Because you saw him out there. And especially with the new rules in baseball, it's friendly to base runners. It's going to be very effective when it comes to stealing bases. You're going to see a huge jump in stolen bases this year. So if you get C.J. Abrams on base, let alone if if he is just anywhere on the field in general, on whatever, doesn't matter what bag he's on, you're going to have to watch out for him. Because not only can you not throw over an unlimited amount of times, but the bags are bigger, even if it's only by three inches. That's actually a big deal. All those bang-bang plays that we used to have are no longer bang-bang plays. That guy is now safe. So that little extra advantage is a big deal in the base path for someone like C.J. Abrams and his speed. And so, what did he do? He took advantage of it. He stole a bag, and then he got driven in the next at-bat. So, this is what we want to see from C.J. Abrams, and not to mention the double that he had, that he stroked down the right field line. Again, if this guy is hitting the ball in the outfield, it is a big deal. He can get on second base, and if he's on second base to start off an inning, that is huge for this Nationals team in generating any runs this season. C.J. Abrams, if we're going to have any chance at being good this year, this is what we'll need to see from C.J. Abrams, and not all the pressure is on him. But we're going to have to see it from him as well. My other takeaway, Matt Cronin, the left-handed pitcher from the national system. You don't really hear too many people talk about him because he's not like this exciting flamethrower left-handed pitcher. He was kind of sitting like 90 yesterday. Not that fast. He's not this huge fastball pitcher. 
But what does he have that separates himself from everyone else? It's his curveball. And when he comes in relief, he has proven time and time again that this guy is a reliable reliever. We haven't seen him up in the major leagues just yet, but I believe this is going to be someone who's pitching his way into a solid role for this Nationals bullpen. And what do I mean by that? Well, the proof is in the pudding. If this is going to be a guy who's going to be able to get strikeouts in spring training, if he's going to be able to take command of the zone and also just pitch really damn well, you're going to be seeing him in the major leagues very soon, if not opening day. And let's see what happens. Because I look at this Nationals roster and the Nationals bullpen, and just from what I've seen from him over the years through box scores, through highlights, watching him pitch, he's the real deal. Now, some people say, can he actually be effective in today's major league climate? Yes, he can. Absolutely, he can. Just because you don't throw 98 miles per hour to 102 miles per hour doesn't mean you can't be effective. Does not mean that whatsoever. If you know baseball, you saw his curveball yesterday. And I will say the camera angle is a little weird, so it may look like it's spiking a little bit more than it actually is, but it's all a good sign. Yesterday was day one. If guys were out there and they did, played terrible, guess what? It's not the end of the world. It's day one. So I'm not trying to overreact so much, but what did this give us? It gave us a taste of the future, and the future is what we care about right now as Nationals fans. This is what we watch for. This is our, our World Series, honestly, seeing these young guys and what they can do. It gives you a taste of the future, gives you a taste of excitement for this team because this year may not be the most exciting, as we all know, but... With that being said, there is exciting pieces to this team. And what do I mean by that? I mean C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, and all these younger guys on this team that we will be able to watch day in and day out. But I have another big takeaway, and this is kind of just going to be a victory lap sort of sense. I have been banging the drum all offseason for Jake Alou. And what does Jake Alou do in his first at-bat in spring training here with the Nationals? He smokes a double in between the right field and center field gap and just smoked the ball. He killed it off the bat. This is someone who I've been talking about. He is a pure hitter. He's not really on anyone's radar. Nationals fans, you and I, we know him. But he's not really on a national radar perspective because he was a 26th round pick or whatever it was. But this is someone who, again, has been one of our most valuable hitters in the minor leagues over the last two seasons. And there's nothing to argue there. He plays a solid third base over at third base, obviously. He can play second base. He can play many different positions. But here's what his thing is. He's a hitter. He's a slugger. He's going to be able to get contact, get on base, and that's what the Nationals need. And then again, he's still young, 25, 26 years old. This is someone who could be a piece of this Nationals team in 2023. It's just going to be about opportunities with him, and when will those come? We'll just have to discuss that on another date. But And then also his second at-bat, a four-pitch walk. A four-pitch walk, so... 
this guy, Jake Lou, keep your eyes on him this spring training because if he starts to hit the way that we think he will, there's going to be some noise over at third base and who should be the starting third baseman moving forward. So Jake Lou has put Nationals fans on alert yesterday. And if you don't know about him, now you do. So thank you guys for tuning in today. But now let's talk about my friends at Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me when you want to get healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got the thing for you. You got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. And they're perfect for a New Year's resolution. Of course, it's February, but it's still New Year's resolution. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. What's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And guys, you don't have to wait around for a box anymore. We've been talking about how you have to go visit Built.com, but not anymore. You can head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. And you can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or even coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. Guys, you can thank me later. And now we get back into looking ahead to day two for the Washington Nationals. And guys, this is a doozy because you have Josiah Gray going against Max Scherzer today for the New York Mets. Obviously, it's not just Max Scherzer versus Josiah Gray here. We're going against Max Scherzer, the pitcher that we got back in return for Max Scherzer. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care that it's spring training. Max Scherzer is going to come out firing today. And when he comes out firing, good luck. I'm sorry. But here's a lot. We already have the lineups here. The first three batters of the Washington Nationals. So you got C.J. Abrams, Luis Garcia, and Joey Manessis. I'm praying for you guys. I really am. Because we know what Max Scherzer is. It doesn't matter that it's his first pitching appearance of spring training. It does not matter whatsoever. Max Scherzer is going to come out firing. And he is going to be Mad Max out there 100%. I would be stunned to see otherwise. But it's just another reminder that it rips our our heart out to see Max with the Mets and doing well. It's just a friendly reminder. It's a terrible reminder too. But also... These aren't the bigger takeaways from day two because we got Trevor Williams also on the mound for the Washington Nationals. We also got Josiah Gray. I'm going to be getting into a little bit later here in this segment. But Trevor Williams, we're going to be seeing his debut for the Washington Nationals. And this one I'm actually really excited about because I've been talking about all offseason. I'm not sure if Trevor Williams is the starting pitcher that we think he is. Just because where he's had success is not starting pitching. So Trevor Williams could put a sock in my mouth and tell me to shut up today if he shoves. And I hope to God he does that. I hope to God he shoves. But let's see what he can do getting a start today in spring training. I'm sure he'll only go one inning, maybe two. But then 
We got to see what he can do. We got to see how he how he gets ready for a start. Because then again, he hasn't done this in a while. He hasn't been an everyday starter in a lot of time. It's been since pre-2020 at least. And so looking at it, I want this experiment to work out. I want him to be an everyday starter. But can he be? Can he get in that routine that needs to be for a starting pitcher? We'll just have to see. But then again, Josiah Gray is some of the biggest upside players that we have for this Washington National squad. And he's also getting the start today. Going against Max Scherzer, as I talked about Scherzer a little earlier, we got to talk about Josiah Gray. Obviously, Josiah Gray is coming off a year that he is going to forget. He led the major leagues in home runs. He led the National League in walks. And this is someone who, again, has the upside. But here's what you have to watch for today. Is his fastball going to be fixed enough to where he's going to be able to overcome some of his misses and take advantage of his makes? And what can he do with that? Will he get more strikeouts? Because think of it this year. As much as I do think this pitch clock is going to be helping the hitters a lot, I also think it could help the pitchers. And if Josiah Gray gets in a mojo to where he's starting to zone in and you can't really stop the pitch clock, then these pitchers are going to get zoned in on a batter who may be flustered, who may want a timeout. And you only get one timeout per at-bat now for a batter. So what does it mean? If pitchers get into that zone to where they are locked in, ready to go every 15 seconds, they're firing a pitch, then we could be in trouble, especially just because of what Josiah Gray is, the kind of ball of energy that he is out there. If he can take command of his performance and really just set the tone for the day, this is going to be a dangerous equation for the Washington Nationals. Dangerous meaning good, a good kind of dangerous. But what I have to watch for today is I already know what his curveball is going to be. I already know what his slider is going to be. I would like to see his change up a little bit more and see what that can do. But then also, he's having a cutter this year. So let's see what he can do with that. Will those three pitches that both kind of break, or all three of them break horizontally rather than vertically, will that be able to work for this young guy? Will that be able to help kind of mix in all those pitches? And how will he? mix in all those pitches that's what we're gonna have to watch for today because it is a little strange to have three pitches break the same way in your own arsenal but then again it doesn't hurt it's not a bad thing it's just you don't really see it too often because his slider and his and his curveball kind of are the same not really but they kind of are they kind of break the same way it's more side to side than up and down And so the cutter is obviously going to be a little more side to side with a little less break, depending on what it is. So that's what I'm going to be watching for, for Josiah Gray in this day two national squad, as obviously there's way more headlines than that for today, but we got to get wrapped up because I got to talk about something that happened today. Manny Machado signed a huge extension to be a San Diego Padre for life. No opt-outs, no trade clause. And he seems to be a locked-in San Diego Padre from here on out. But now it raises the question, what does this mean for Juan Soto and the Padres for a long-term extension? And when that day comes, 
will they actually be able to force over all that money? And if they do have to extend him, what will they have to do to land him? I'm going to talk about that. But before, thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. But for your second listen, check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy strategies. Find Locked On Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network where you get your team every single day. And again, thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. As we plug this, I need to talk about Manny Machado getting this extension and what it means for Juan Soto and the Padres. We all know what happened at last deadline. We traded away Juan Soto in the deadline. And we got back a haul of prospects in return. Now, San Diego Padres, they have spent huge this offseason. They gave you Darvish an extension. And really over the last few years, they've given Fernando Tatis a $300 million extension. Now Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts. All these guys for a small market team who easily have a top 10 payroll in baseball and a top five payroll now in baseball. But there's one guy left to extend on that team that they will desperately need down the stretch. And that is number 22, Juan Soto. What does this mean for a team that is still in contention and will be in contention over the next two years when Juan Soto is freed up? I don't know what this means because you're telling me today that they can't extend Juan Soto. I'm not buying it. I don't think with what they have, with all the money that they have surrounded with their talent, their homegrown talent, these guys that they have bought, they have traded for. I'm not buying that they can actually extend Soto, not only because he's a Scott Boris client, but can they even afford it at this point? And here's my thought around this. Other than Fernando Tatis or Manny Machado, who's the most valuable player on that team? It's Juan Soto. And if you were to ask me, when all of them are playing at their best, who is the most valuable player to that team? I'm still going to say Juan Soto. Now, I know a lot of people may say, well, what about Manny Machado? You know, this, the front runner for the MVP, Fernando Tatis, all these different guys that they have, you Darvish, all of them. It's still Juan Soto to me. I still think when you ask me who's the best player out of those three, when they're playing at their best, I still think it's Juan Soto. Call me biased, but I'm sorry. I still think Juan Soto is one of the game's best hitters in all of baseball, and I know he had a down 2022, but that doesn't matter. He was going through a lot. Obviously, he got traded away from the Nationals where he did want to be long-term, but it just didn't work out that way. So, now we're here. I think the San Diego Padres may have to let loose, whether it be Sander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis Jr., or Manny Machado. And from what I've seen, they just signed Xander Bogarts. I don't think they're going to be getting out of that contract in two years. They just extended Manny Machado. And honestly, if you ask anyone in San Diego, Manny Machado is the heartbeat of that team. He wants to be there, and they want him there more than anyone. And then we come to Fernando Tatis Jr., who tested positive for PEDs this last year. What does this mean? What? You you ask this, ask this for yourself. 
when Fernando Tatis Jr. got canned for PEDs last year, do you remember all the teammates that came out to really kind of crush him? I have never seen something like that in my lifetime. I have never seen a team go out there and consistently just crush a guy. A.J. Preller, their GM, kind of hit him home at the press conference and said, yeah, this is bad. Manny Machado, Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger's in his own boat of trouble now, but you get my point. I'm not saying that he's a jerk. I'm not saying that Tatis is a problem, but he certainly isn't a huge solution in that clubhouse the way that they're talking about him. I've just never seen teammates kind of react that way to a superstar player. And so I really think if Juan Soto proves to be that he's still Juan Soto, and I think he will be, I think they're going to have to let go one of those players and see what the trade market does. Fernando Tatis Jr., and this is kind of something I've been keeping bottled in through my head this entire time. But I think the San Diego Padres will have to trade Fernando Tatis Jr. in order to sign Juan Soto. I'm not buying that this team can still spend on just anyone. They can't. I'm sorry. You can't just spend your money freely the way that they have. And if they do, great. It's better for baseball small market spending, I'm here for it. I'm just being realistic. Can they and will they is two different things. Yes, I'm sure they can spend that money and still be able to afford it, but will they? Is that worth it to them? Is that worth it handing out all this money to these different players because they still got to have holes to fill around that team? And yes, Preller has done an awesome job in trying to get talent in that Padres clubhouse, and he has done that year in and year out over the last few years in particular. And he's built up the farm system even after making that massive trade this last season for Juan Soto. It has worked out for him. But I just don't know how much this magic potion can last, you know? Is it realistic to keep all these guys on huge deals? Can they afford it? I don't know. But if you were to ask me, I feel like there is a better chance that they trade Tatis than let Juan Soto walk. Because if you give up all those assets for Juan Soto for two and a half years, is it worth it? Well, if you win a World Series, it was worth it. But if you don't, absolutely not. And especially if he walks. That's the goal. They traded for Juan Soto to kick the doors down in the NL West, to win the division, to make noise in the playoffs. They better win now. So they're in a tricky situation. Do I think they can get out of it? We'll just have to see. So thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day. Now go check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Our guys, Matt and Dom, they have you covered every single day, and it is a joy to listen to them. I will be talking to you guys tomorrow. Make sure to watch the Nats today.